Can you see me? Can you hear me? We had on the screen when you were coming in, please sit in the center section. If I had been able to get back to our guys, I was going to have them put up, please sit in the first two rows. <laughs> but we're glad that you're here tonight. It's good to, to see you. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be able to stand in, in Scott's absence and share with you uh, tonight. Be taking your Bibles, if you will, and be turning to the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at some familiar territory tonight. Always appreciate the opportunity to share, to fill in, whether it's one person or whether it's 101 persons. Uh, always glad to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be able to preach and stand before his people. But I don't want to be like the little boy who said to his mother, Mama, I think I'm called to preach. And his mother said, well, that's wonderful, but how do you know that? And the little boy said, well, if I've got to go to church anyway, it's better to get up and stand up and holler than to have to sit still all the time you're there. Well, I promise I'm not going to holler at you tonight. But we're in Matthew chapter 5, and, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. And I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. If you have another translation, that's fine. You follow along the printed page of your Bible. And let me read this. And then I want to share another translation with you that we do not have available. Can't put that on the screen. But the King James Version says in Matthew 5, beginning with verse 14. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, let me read the same verses from the Phillips translation. This is J.B. Phillips. And it's the New Testament, and it's the modern English version. But he says, as he writes this, You are the world's light. It is impossible to hide a town built on a hill. Men did not light a lamp and put it under a bucket. They put it on a lampstand, and it gives light for everyone in the house. Let your light shine like that in the sight of men. Let them see the good things you do. And praise your Father in heaven. So what we find from this is that we as Christians, we are called, we're known, we are the light of the world. Now, Jesus never spoke a greater compliment to individual Christians than you find in this brief line that we're considering this evening. He never spoke a greater compliment to any human beings than he spoke to his disciples the believers who were right there in front of him that day when he looked at them and upon them and said, you are the light of the world. You are the world's light. Now, this is the greatest compliment for two reasons. I want to encourage you to just jot down some things as we move through this. We'll be looking or mentioning some other scripture as we move through this, and you'll want to jot these down so you can go back and look that at them in your personal private devotional time, but this is the greatest compliment for two reasons. Number one, because 
This compliment was spoken by Jesus himself. And without that, the other one would not be true. This is the greatest compliment ever spoken because Jesus himself spoke it. And then secondly, because in these words, Jesus invites Christians to actually become what he himself claimed to be. You remember in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then in John chapter 9, verse 5, he appended this thought. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus first began to move out and into and among the multitudes, he declares that those who follow him and those who walk in the light, as he is in the light, and those who are the children of light, he declares that they themselves would be the light of the world. Now, what does it mean when he makes this declaration that he identifies here within the economy of God when he says that Christians, every Christian, is the light of the world? How, how are we as Christians the light of the world? Is it just a title? Is it just a term? Uh, does it really have merit? Does it really have meaning? If, no, since Jesus sets forth unto us in, I would call it a sledgehammering blow of truth, our identification with him as well as our interaction within the world concerning our being the light of the world, then it behooves us to, to seriously and sincerely think this through in order to fulfill the charge that he's entrusted to us. So let's consider this together, and we're going to put... Uh, some an outline here for you on the, on the screen, and I want you to jot these down, and they'll be there so you can see them. Give you time to write these down, but I don't want you to think with me first of all about the fact that we are living in a world, and as the light of the world, the ruin of this world makes this light that Jesus is talking about here necessary. That's the first point that we want to consider tonight. The ruin of this world makes. This light that he's talking about necessary. In Matthew 5, look back up at verse 13. We didn't deal with this verse, but look at that verse. Matthew 5, 13. Jesus has stated that the world that we live in is in such a terrible and tragic condition that it desperately needs the basic properties even of salt. And what that means is that this world is in a condition of decay. It's in a condition of continual progressing deterioration to the point of death and destruction. And if it's left to itself, then it remains in that downhill toboggan to ultimate disintegration. All right, in verse 14, Jesus tells us that the world is in such a terrible and tragic condition that it desperately needs the basic properties of light. So that means, if anything, that the world is in a radical condition of darkness. So if you put these two conditions together, you come up with a picture of the radical ruin of the world when it's left to itself and left to itself without God. In other words, this world is rapidly decaying. It's increasingly growing closer and closer to turbulent destruction and disintegration. 
And I promise you, and you realize this, you don't have to look very far to know this. You don't have to look very far in this world to see this. Our material world is decaying. The resources that we have are quickly being consumed at an alarming rate of depletion. And the drain that we're making on our resources are going to exhaust the ones that we need the most. And so our world is on a collision course with destruction, and it seems that there's no backing out. And the further we go, the faster we go. And Jesus says the world is in a condition of decay and darkness. But what kind of darkness is the world in? Now, some people may not believe this, but I'll risk it anyway. It is a darkness that is, first of all, mental in nature. This darkness that the world is in, first of all, is mental in nature. It's not possible for men to think right without God. Uh, Men do not have in their mentality the processing in themselves to think correctly without God. And this is the message that Christ announced over and over and gave his life for, and he rose again to demonstrate as well as to substantiate that fact. The very fact that he lives within us today, those of us who are saved, he lives within us by his Holy Spirit. That proves the absolute reality of that fact. In John 3, verse 3, he said, unless a person is born again, he cannot see. That person is mentally blind. Paul himself describes for us in Ephesians 4, 18, the condition and ruin of people without God. He says they have their understanding darkened. And this is not a condition that people progress in. It's it's not something that they simply become. This is the way every person is born. That's how you were born. That's how I was born. Every person is born this way. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 says that the world, people without God, are blinded in their minds. So this darkness is mental. Secondly, this darkness is also moral in nature. Now, contrary to what our so-called intelligentsia are telling us today, the world is not getting better because people are not getting better. Isaiah 5, verse 20, states it this way in explaining to us what is happening even today around us in greater degrees of decay and decadence. He writes and says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that make bitter sweet and sweet bitter, that call black white and vice versa, or called daylight darkness, vice versa. In other words, we are now, as never before in our world, at the point where people all across this globe are confusing the moral colors and cannot tell the difference any longer between what is right and what is wrong. Existing in a gray area to them is, and they say that there is no black and white as as far as morality is concerned. And so they wander around in their life, in this world, groping for light in this darkness. And mark it down, mark it well, when when people live in sin, moral vision is impaired. And it brings ultimate destruction always. And then this darkness is also, number three, it's spiritual in nature. And it's here that the real telling blow comes as far as God is concerned. It's a darkness where people are alienated and they're cut off from the life of God. They're divorced from the heart of God. 
On one hand, there's the relic of the divine image in them that reaches up, wants to reach up and reach out to God, hungry. But on the other hand, I say they say, well, I don't want that. There's a part of them that says, I don't want that. Leave me alone. Let, get that out of the way of my life. Don't haunt me with that. Don't bother me with that. And I promise you, once a person hears of Jesus Christ, they will either be Christ-healed or Christ-haunted in their life. Now, you think about it before you were saved. When God was dealing with you, we call it conviction, being under conviction. When you first heard of Jesus Christ, for the rest of your life, till you made that profession of faith, you were Christ-haunted. The Holy Spirit kept dealing with you, kept dealing with you. So once a person hears of Jesus Christ, they will either be Christ-healed or they will be Christ-haunted the rest of their life. And I would challenge the citadel of any person's thinking when they speak of disbelieving that there is a God because it's by mere intuition of the heart that they cannot help but know that there is a God. The Bible tells us this. And it doesn't matter how rational they are because it's not a rational point. It's a moral, it's a spiritual point. The greatest intellect in the world can believe in God or choose to disbelieve. And the poorest intellect in the world can believe in God or choose to disbelieve God. That has nothing to do with it. See, the decision a person makes about Christ is not a rational decision. It's a moral, it's a spiritual decision. And people without Christ are in spiritual darkness, and that's the bottom line, and that's what the Bible tells us. All right, listen to this line. Jot it down. But listen to this line that Paul makes in the book of Philippians. It's Philippians chapter 2, and it's verses 14 and 15. He says, Christians, do everything without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless. Now listen to this. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, perverse means distorted and diseased with a festering growth of corruption. And it's always advancing, always progressing. He says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, what would it mean, or what this means is, when it says a crooked world, it's, it's talking about people without Jesus Christ, not able to think straight. They can't go straight. They can't act straight. They cannot live straight. And... This is the kind of world all around us in which we live today. We're in the middle of a radical, desperate, deep darkness that threatens to choke out all light. And the only thing that can handle and control this evil is what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. So that's the ruin of this world. The second point that I want you to jot down, the second point of our outline tonight is the role of the Christian amid this world of darkness. And this role of the Christian comes into the picture here. Jesus plainly says that you as a Christian, that I as a Christian, every Christian, he says you are the light of the world. Now what is light for? What does light do? Well, it does basically two things. It's a business of light, first of all, to drive away the dark, to push away or push back the frontiers of darkness. Now, we've tried many ways in which to get rid of the darkness in this world. We've tried to do it, certainly as, as a church. We've tried to do it as Christians. But darkness cannot be dispelled by shouting at it. 
It cannot be dispelled by hammering at it or by lecturing it or uh, sticking your head in the sand and denying its existence, hoping that it's not real. Light is the only thing in the world that can win over darkness. The darkness can protest it, all that it cares to, but when light shines, darkness has to flee. That's why Jesus said it was absolutely necessary in the world in which he lived, and he tells us it's absolutely necessary in the world in which we live. Now, friends, that is your role as a Christian. That's my role as a Christian. We are the light of the world. We can't wait, can't depend on anybody else. Jesus says that we, as his, as his people, as his children, we're the light of the world. The story of Peter Milne comes across very identifiably for us in, in correspondence to this issue. It was on the island of Naguna in the New Hebrides Islands that Peter Milne went and gave his life literally to make the love of Christ known to the natives there who had never heard of Jesus Christ. And he finally died under the impact of uh, several diseases and things that caught him because of his just giving his life away there without any protection from the environment that he lived and labored in. But when he died, those natives sent off and they had imported a tombstone. And over his grave, they erected this tombstone. And at the top of it was a picture of Peter Milne. And right under his picture was engraved his name and the dimensions date-wise of his life. And at the bottom of that tombstone was a one-line inscription. And this is what it said. It says, when he came, there was no light. But when he died, there was no darkness. Now, this is what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. Can you imagine what our society would become like if, if every person here in this church, if every person here in this community who names the name of Christ would perform radically before Jesus Christ on our face, on our knees, seeking to gain his inner light for our inner life, mentally and morally and spiritually, and then just become transparent before the world so that like a lighthouse, that light would break out in all directions. Can you imagine what would happen if that were to take place? Well, it could, but instead the devil sends bricks whizzing at us all the time, and we refuse to duck, which means that we're sidelined over and over again and again, time after time. And there may be those within this body who've been victimized more than once by bad thoughts or adverse circumstances or moral problems or guilt or fear. We're victimized time and time again, over and over by those things all of our life. And they're bricks that the devil hurls at us. But I dare you sometime to just duck when the devil throws a brick at you and let Jesus take the impact for you. Indeed, you are responsible, but you cannot do it without it. He told us that. It's the business of light to drive away the darks. But, but it's the business of light, secondly, to disclose reality. Ephesians 5.13 says, Whatsoever doth make manifest... Is light. In other words, 
Whatever exposes things is light. Whatever brings things out in the open is light. See, in the dark, there's no visible difference between uh, a beautiful jewel and a piece of coal. It's only when the light hits them that the difference is detectable. And that's why Jesus says men love darkness rather than light because in the light, the reality of their deeds are revealed. So light discloses, light reveals things, and the light of the Christian is always disclosed to two specific things. Number one, the danger of being and remaining without Jesus Christ. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you that most Christians aren't willing to risk this. See, they don't want to express any negatives in their life or they don't want to face any person lovingly with the fact that they're going to hell and they need to be rescued if they do not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But nevertheless, it's true. It is as real and radical as anything could be. And Jesus died And he rose again to prove that everything he said is true. And he lives inside. He lives within those who belong to him. And he has indeed substantiated his truth. Light discloses, light reveals danger to those who are without Christ. But the Christian life also discloses and reveals, number two, the right pathway to follow. The right pathway to follow. Discloses not only the danger of being and remaining without Christ, but it discloses the right pathway to to follow or the correct course to take in life. Take, for example, an airport at nighttime. There are at least uh, two long lines of lights running with the runway that, that allows the pilot of the airplane to see the air that he is going to land on as he navigates that airship down to its destination. You've heard about narrow-minded people? You've heard about narrow-minded people? Well, I've had the privilege of flying over great distance to get to required appointment or destination. And, and so flying made that a lot quicker, made it a lot easier. But I want to tell you, when I was in that plane and the time came for us to land, I wanted that pilot to be the most narrow-minded person in the whole world because I wanted him to hit that runway at the long angle instead of the short angle. Well, we simply cannot see the right course to take in our life without the light. We cannot afford to depend on our own moral or our own mental and spiritual darkness to equip us for this journey. And yet millions upon millions of people are trying to do it their entire, their whole lifetime. It's like the blind man who was walking along a street one night, and he was holding a lantern up, and a passerby stopped and said critically, Sir, what are you doing with that light? You can't see anyway. It's not doing you any good at all. And the blind man replied very affirmatively, Oh, yes, but it is. It's keeping other people from stumbling over me. Now, friends, unless we as Christians carry the light of Jesus Christ down the streets of life and the pathways of life and the roads of life, every person we meet to one degree or another is going to stumble over us into outer darkness eternally. 
That's what the Bible tells us. And that brings us to consider the third point of our outline tonight, and that is the responsibility of the Christian in the world that desperately needs light. All right, look at uh, Matthew 5, verse 16 again. Again, I'm reading from the King James Version. If you, Whatever you have, that's fine. But Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, this is the mandate that we've received from our Lord. This is the commandment, His commandment unto us. This is what our life is supposed to do. This is what our life is supposed to be. And Jesus sums it up in one word. And tragically, we've passed it by many times on the wide side of the street, the comfortable side. And the word is the word shine. S-H-I-N-E. Now Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, that we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And he says, walk as children of light. Now, exactly how are we to shine? Or I want you to look at that verse again, Matthew 5, verse 16. And I want you to jot these down. This is how we're to shine. If Jesus tells us to do this, then how are we supposed to do it? Well, I want to tell you how we're supposed to shine. Jesus says that we're to shine, first of all, naturally. Now, this is as Christians. This is as his people. This is those who are followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. He says, let your light shine. We're to shine, first of all, naturally. So, it's not our business to provide the oil for the lamp. It's not our business to trim the wick. And I cannot tell you how many times God has done that in my life. Again and again. How many times he's trimmed the wick. But it's not our business to ignite the flame. That's his work. Our business is simply to shine. Jesus does all those other things. Uh, He provides the oil for the lamp. He trims the wick. He ignites the flame. That's his business. And he does those things when we open up to him. And friends, it's worth whatever Jesus has to do in us if he gets any shining out of it. Isn't that right? It's worth whatever he has to do if he gets any shining out of it. Worth it all. All right, we're to shine secondly. We're to shine openly. Look at the verse again. He says, let your light shine before men. And here is where most Christians fail. Jesus did not say, you're the light of your house. He did not say, you're the light of the church. You see, all those things would be too easy. Rather, we're the light of the, say it out loud. The world. We're the light of the world. And that means that whenever we are away from this place, when we're away from this assembly spot, and whenever we're away from our gathering, we're to shine. Candles aren't lit merely to be looked at, but rather to be able to do something so things can be seen. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But we're to shine 
thirdly, we're to shine sacrificially. Sacrificially. He says that men may see. See, light is not produced without the awesome transaction of it consuming itself. See, a candle consumes itself. A bulb, a light bulb consumes itself. It's self-consuming. The sun burns itself up to produce light for us. Christ, the light, gave himself in consumption to self-sacrifice that his light could shine to the farthest reaches of this globe to shine in and upon and through all who would trust and receive him by grace through faith and be saved. Now, there can be no shining without a burning. Remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He says that John the Baptist was a burning and shining light. Jesus says that this is what you are. He says, this is what I am. We are to fulfill this demand he makes upon our life. It was John Ruskin, one of the great British men of letters, who tells the story of sitting on his porch late in life when, when he was an old man. And as he sat on the porch late that evening, he saw across the way, across the valley, up on a distant hill, he saw a lamplighter. And he had a torch in his hand, and he was moving along from street lamp to street lamp. And when he started, they, they were all in darkness. And all you could see was this torch that he was carrying. And as this lamplighter moved along and raised the torch and pulled back the hood of each lamp, he, he would ignite that lamp. And Ruskin said, at first it... It, uh, it flamed brightly and then it would die down a little bit and to give its regular consistent light to all around. And John Ruskin said, I never saw the man himself. I never saw the lamplighter. All he saw was the light. And, and as the man went up the hill, there began to form a stream, a chain of gleaming lights right up the side of the street and on up the hill. And John Ruskin said, when I saw that, I thought to myself, that's what I mean when I speak of a real Christian. You ought to be able to detect where he's been by the lights that he leaves burning behind him. That's what Jesus is telling us here. You, I, we are the light of the world. Give your light unto all and let it shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want to ask you, if you will, to stand, and we're going to dismiss in, in, in prayer tonight. Thank, again, thank you for being here. I know we have some other things going on in church that call people away, and they're attending to those things, and that's fine. Some people are out of town, and they're away. But I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we've been able to be together. I want to ask you, if you will, to just join the hand of the person closest to you. If you want to move and go across the the aisle there, whatever you need to do, let's just join hands together. And I'm going to stand here and I'll, pray. I'll lead us as we pray. Don't let me do your praying. You bow your head and you pray as we pray together tonight. Father, indeed, you've given us a great command. You've given us a wonderful compliment. 
But with that compliment comes a responsibility, an awesome responsibility. And we realize that we cannot do this without you living in us. But, Father, you've called us to be the light of the world. We can't wait on other people to do it. We can't ask the world to do it because we are the light. Father, help us to set the example. Help us to fulfill the role that you've called us to fulfill by being all that you called us to be, as you empower us. Whatever you command us to do, we can do it because you equip us and you empower us to do it through your Holy Spirit, through the gifts that you give to us, all the things that you provide for us to be able to fulfill it. It's not impossible. It can be done. Father, help us to be willing tonight to submit ourselves afresh and anew unto you as our Lord and as our Savior. That as we go from this place, we indeed would let our light shine. Shine before the world, shine unto the world, shine in this world in which we live that's in darkness, mentally, morally, and spiritually. That they may see, that they may come to know Christ who is indeed the light of all lights. In his name, just in Jesus' name, we pray together. And all God's people say it. Amen. We're at liberty to go. Thank you so much.